Rick Elliott, and you are watching Hashtag Verse TV. Remember to comment, like, subscribe, and share. But because of that simple letter that's included in that genre, in that box that people yeah. want to lock us into, I, talk, I can talk about anything. You give me a mic, Patti LaBelle said, if you give me a mic, I'm going to wear it out. music here and if you hear my voice you know what that means it's time for all the tea right here with verse tv and we have someone very special in the building someone i know personally so ladies and gentlemen welcome to the building rick elliott davis i'm trying to say it like you <laughs> ladies and gentlemen thank you, thank you. yes so first and foremost thank you for being with us on the, on the talk show and thank you for being here for the interview we really appreciate it um, looking to find out more information about you because you know you were so energetic during our talk show. You know, there's a lot people want to know. People want to know the things. Right. So, we're gonna, so we're gonna ask some uh, questions and get to the bottom of it. But anyway, first and foremost, you're a graphic designer, voiceover artist, and a public speaker. We will dig into all of this, okay? First, so first for our audience who may not yet know, where are you from? So I hail from Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> Little Rock, shout out to Little Rock. Shout out to Little Rock, Arkansas, the Rock, to Cap City. Yeah, so I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Awesome, and then it brought you all the way here to New York. You've been here for some years. By, so, uh, from Little Rock by way of Columbus, Dayton, Mansfield, Ohio, by way of New Jersey. Okay. I am uh, in New York, been here for like 16 years, New York, big ups to the Bronx, South Bronx, Melrose, yeah, I mean. Right, right, all of that. There's gang signs and everything, all of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what do you love most about your personal origin story and how has that influenced your work? I think my personal origin has humbled me. It's something that being from Arkansas and a sort of small city is something that I could be embarrassed about or not want to. Um, I've had a lot of, I had a lot of experiences growing up through my childhood, but I think that those things definitely developed me, to, of course, developed me into who I am today, but also made me more prepared for my long life journey of who I am and what I'm going to be and what I have to offer into the world. So it's uh, been a journey that is, is interesting being from, from the rock. <laughs> Listen, you gotta, you gotta represent, keep it real as my grandmother would say, you, you know, everybody has a different story. Everyone's from somewhere different and I wouldn't know, we wouldn't know anything about it if you don't, you know, express it. So be proud of the rock. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when it comes to, your voice acting. We've listened to and watched clips from your reel. First and foremost, you are amazingly talented and skilled. Shout out to you, okay? Out in these streets. So please give us the tea on what led you into doing some voice, led you into doing voiceover work. 
So I am an actor by trade, I guess you would say. I've been acting my entire life. I um, acted in musical theater and children's theater growing up through uh, grade school and high school. I actually studied musical theater in college. And in the fourth grade, uh, a lady was just completely enamored with me. And she asked me to come and speak at her church. And that opened a door for me to speak throughout the city of Little Rock uh, and some other places um, that I traveled as a child. I, I moderated events, I commentated on events. Um, I sort of was like a local, little local celebrity. I had a television talk show on public access as a child. Know all that. Yeah, like I was like 11 years old. I had a talk show, it was called Leaders of the 21st Century. And- <laughs> All right. So I've been in the game for a minute as far as um, the things that I've experienced in, in public speaking and acting and what have you. Um, and so as far as voiceovers go, I love in acting, creating characters. And it was always something that I've done. And my voice went from like sounding like this, from like Mickey Mouse, to sounding like this, like James. Let's go down. Let's start hanging. Like one day, one day I woke up and my voice was like this, and everything I said was like, "Hey, mom, can I get some Cheetos?" <laughs> <laughs> so I had to learn to make that work for me. And I'm a naturally um, animated person. I'm very charismatic and loud and and boisterous. So I made that work for me. And I love voiceovers because you don't know who's on the other side of that mic and what that person looks like. And so if I do a voice like this, and I talk like this, nobody would ever think that this guy is the person who has this voice. And you know, <laughs> I've seen an person for myself. I've been very fooled by you putting these voices on. Um, yeah. So you talked about what you love about it most. What, what, is, what is the least that you like about it? I don't, there's really not a least that I like about it. The only thing that I would possibly be able to say is trying to break into the industry. Um, music, or rather, uh, pardon me, voiceover is an entertainment industry, just like music is, uh, like acting, anything else. So it is something that you have to navigate your way through and sort of cipher how to get on, so to speak. So those are, that's something that it's always uh, a journey, trying to figure out what the best avenues to take are, what the best resources to follow are. But I love it. I love being able to create characters and the challenge of making a voice that appeals to people or trying to change the timbre of my voice for a particular commercial. It's, it's it, this, my voice is my thing. That's what I always say. Everybody has a thing, your voice is it, right? <laughs> do you ever write your own copies for commercials? Like, do you ever put your own scripts together for stuff like that? Or do you just use like what they give you? Occasionally I do. And when I do, it's generally for more local type businesses or clients. And that goes hand in hand with my graphic design that if I'm offering graphic design to a client, then a lot of times I will offer them a voiceover services as a commercial or a commercial video for what they do. Um, if it's a larger project, generally the client has their own 
scripting and own verbiage that needs to be used to represent mm -hmm. themselves or whatever their project or initiative is. So um, as a voiceover actor, you do sometimes have a hand in it, but uh, sometimes you are just the hired hand and you're creating and bringing life to the words that the client needs for you to uh, convey the message that they need you to convey to this the audience. Mm -hmm. Come on, are you answering the questions before I ask them too? Right on track. That was the next question. So. <laughs> while we're moving along the list of things that you do, right? <laughs> Let's get along to your graphic designing, okay? So you've been into the arts and drawings of the childhood. Y'all gotta check out some of those drawings. He actually has a new line out with some stuff. They gotta check it out, by the way. Um, please give us the tea on how you found your way into the profession of graphic design. So graphic design was something that was just like, I, I did not, I had never thought about it, to be completely honest. I did draw and paint as a child. And it was something I kind of, you know, put over there. Um, I was, I consider myself sort of like a Renaissance man and I've done a lot. My mother was very, very adamant, very supportive of my ability and being able to just, everything she thought I could do, she had me in. So, I mean, I was doing all kinds of no. things. You know, I, I'm so grateful for that because I experienced so many things in arts and culture because my mother was supportive in letting me explore my kookiness <laughs> and explore all of the weird things that go on in my mind as an artist and as a creative. So, I honestly fell into doing graphics. I have a background in marketing and advertising, which I did on a professional level for Verizon and Sprint and a couple of other companies. And I was working with my church and they, we really didn't have any marketing presence, any social presence. And so it was something that I was very I pushed for it's like okay we, we need people to to see us and we have a website and we need this xyz and I began working with a couple of designers being the liaison to getting us to that place of a public presence that we needed and I I'm an observant person so a lot of things that I know how to do or things that I I do do comes from baking and just watching and, and then tweaking and learning and try trial and error. Mm -hmm. So I was working with these, these designers and I was like, well, I can do that. So I um, picked up little tools here and there and it ultimately led to me uh, getting Photoshop and getting Adobe Illustrator and getting these other applications that I just sort of went into head on and found a way through and found a way to make it productive. And so at this point, I've been doing graphic design for 11 plus years and I've had some really, really nice heartwarming success stories of work that is not just on social media or in flyers, but that is in tangible form on side of buildings that has been internationally is on um, trucks, trucking companies is going down the road. So really been a blessing to have the experience and the success that I have in my design career. All right now. And so how did you find the, how do you find the artistic creativity to put together each piece of work? My mind is like, 
and there's always stuff going on in my mind. And I, I, I will, firstly, I attribute everything to God. So I'm grateful to God for giving me a creative mindset that explores its own self, uh, so to speak, for lack of a better word. That there are things that are in my mind. And then as I tap into them, it's like, okay, well, can you do that? Can you do this? What happens if you do this? And I sort of just explore what's there. And as a creative, you're a creative yourself. So you know that art begins to take its own form. And so there's a level of input that you push for and you push into whatever your particular art is. And then there's a space where it just melds, melds, melds and, and just becomes its own thing. And you come out with a product and hopefully that product is what people want to see, is what they're going to be drawn to, mm-hmm. and it's what is going to please your customer, your client, your audience, whatever it is that your particular niche speaks to. So I really just try to do the best of what comes to my mind and, and hopefully, and, and just hope that, okay, I hope this works <laughs> and I hope it likes it. And, you know, most times I'm, I'm really grateful that as far as my clientele, I have very loyal and very kind clients that allow me just to go crazy. Most times they say, you know, just do your thing. And, <laughs> and it generally comes out good and, and, and pleasing and suffices for what the client needs. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, sir. I've seen it myself. Trust me. Um, so now we're going to talk about your public speaking. What about what subject matter do you mostly speak about? That honestly, I won't say it varies. I will say that it's changed over the years. When I was younger and I first got on the scene as a public speaker, it was very civic minded. So I did a lot of, I was booked in Black History Month. I was always doing something that was very cultural, speaking at churches and schools or civic functions, Black history programs. Juneteenth programs, anything that dealt with a culture, um, a Kwanzaa, I did lots of presentations on. So one thing when I was younger, I did lots of presentations and speeches on specific things like Kwanzaa or Juneteenth mm-hmm. or Black History Month and things of that nature. As I have gotten older and I myself have grown and translated myself into new territories, that has expanded to um, the LGBT community, LGBTQIA community and cultural competency. It has expanded into professional development. It has expanded into personal development. So I'm able to offer a myriad of topics, so to speak, that, um, I, that I can present on and that I speak on. Um, my personal passion is youth and young people. That's one of my personal platforms. So I always want to reach out to, so to speak, the next generation or persons who are coming up, whether it be by age or just in needing someone to look towards, someone, a figure to look to for their own growth and development. So it varies. So I, talk, I can talk about anything. You give me a mic, Patty LaBelle said, if you give me a mic, I'm gonna wear it out. So- <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, right? If you what put me on a larger um, audience that you can reference when it comes to public speaking, 
Say that again, I'm sorry. Um, your largest audience that you that you can reference for public speaking, the largest audience that you spoke for. I went, I was, when I was younger, I spoke, or rather I commentated um, a program in Dallas, Texas. And it was a theater that was, and I, I don't know the exact seating, but a theater um, that was very, very large, um, almost as large as Radio City Music Hall in New York. And I, I mean, there were thousands of people there. And so that was one of the largest singular audiences that I spoke to, but with right. the internet, so right. I spoke into gazillions of people because when you're online, you have spoken to the world. So I have had people from even uh, other countries hit me up before when I've written blog posts or when I've posted something that they saw me and it's overwhelming and humbling that people will even reach out or even think to say anything that I'm from Switzerland and I'm from Ghana and I, I've seen you or I heard you. So, I mean, I, I'm, all of us now are on a global stage, but outside of the global stage of the World Wide Web, I, um, I, I, that time in Dallas was a big audience. Come on now, Dallas. And you've been on some TV audiences too, huh? I, I was on Oprah. Oh, okay. I'm just. I was waiting for it. I was waiting. to talk about it. Oh, okay. I mean, I kind of forget sometimes, but I was on Oprah. We're standing next to get next to each other. Yeah. Take a mic. Yeah, I, I tried to take Oprah's mic. I was so like, boom, 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 boom. And I looked back at it, I was like, oh my God, I was trying to take the mic from Oprah Gail Winfrey. What was going on in my mind? And that was actually recorded at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. Um, so that was, uh, I mean, it was Oprah. So there's nothing more to be said. I mean, I'm standing next to Oprah giving my thoughts and opinions. So that means. You spoke to those people in the room and you spoke to the world because it's on TV, it's on the internet, so you can check it out. So I'm just saying, that's, to me, that's the biggest. Um, so <laughs> what has been the hardest part about your freelance um, entrepreneurial work? The hardest part as a freelancer is just trying to keep up business um, with when you are with a company as a designer or, or any type of industry. When you're with a company, the business is there and someone else is doing the digging, I guess, for you to get clients or or you have name recognition that people want to go to Louis Vuitton or they want to go to Starbucks or they want to go to whatever uh, large audiences, large uh, vendors are. But as a freelance artist, as a freelance graphic designer, et cetera, et cetera, it's up to you. So yeah, you have, and like I said, I do have a lot of repeat and referral business, but sometimes you do have to do that grassroots digging and drum up some clientele so you can stay afloat. And sometimes that means that you have a project, sometimes I'll have a project that lasts for weeks or months in a particular relationship working on something. I worked on a project for Alpha Kappa Alpha or AKA Sorority Incorporated. That was one of my great success stories of a few projects that I did with them and some of them went internationally. So the work that I did was di distributed internationally at their large conference and was made available online in their store. That went on for months. But then sometimes I'll have uh, a quick project that 
I'm done with it in a day. And, mm. and tomorrow is like, okay, well, yeah, what I'm going to do today? I ain't got no flyers to work on. I ain't got no <laughs> website to do what I'm going to do. So uh, it's it, there are lots of ebbs and flows and sometimes ups and downs. And as a creative, sometimes that can be difficult because you have all of this stuff in your in your aura and your mind and your body and your spirit that you want to be able to use and create. But if nobody's knocking on that door, ringing your cell phone, uh, twittering you, tweeting you, face DMing you or doing anything like that, it's like, all right, well, okay, here I am twiddling my fingers, waiting for the next client to come along. But um, that can be difficult but it's also motivation because something that I try to push myself to do is in those moments when I don't have a job or a client to work for, I'm trying to express myself in other ways and reinvent myself to go to that next place. Gotcha. And now we talked about, since we talked about what was the hardest uh, part about it, let's talk about what's the most enjoyable part of it. The most enjoyable part is when I send my clients something and they're like, oh my God, I love it. I mean, I, I can't believe that you did this. How did, you know, it's the, just hearing, because as, as an artist of all forms, as a creative, when you put something out there or when you come to, the, as a creative, you never feel finished. As a creative, you always look back and say, I could have done this, I could have done that, I could have done more, is this good enough, is this right? And you have to, one thing that I've taught myself is that you have to come to a stopping point always. You have to come to a point that says, all right, this is what I'm going to present. And so you have that moment of bated breath awaiting the response from your client and hopes that they love it and they, they send those te that text in all caps I love it and <laughs> you never know and sometimes what what you think in your mind worked will work and sometimes it doesn't but the the easiest part the greatest part the best and most enjoyable time of being an artist and the graphic design component of my work is when that client said there's nothing like when getting a text back from a client that says a text or email I love this oh my god I, I never thought of this that that is that is worth more than money honestly gotcha oh I totally understand as a creative I totally get it trust me so yeah. how did your education benefit this work of yours well I studied a musical theater. Well, I like I said, I've I've been in theater mostly throughout uh, up until adulthood. In college, I studied musical theater. So, a lot of what I do today has been um, what my mother would call OJT or on the job training, <laughs> and just trying things and working. And it really has been a and a self taught journey and a self um, place of self self education maybe for for lack of a better words is learning what I can do and then seeing what I can't do and making myself know how to do it so the education a lot of the education because I have no formal training in graphic design 
I have been trained in theater. I have been trained in communications and public speaking, but the graphic design component is just all thanks to God and what he allows, what he downloads into my mind and my hands. And so I really am a product of the work of my hands and the work of my mind that he allows to, to come through me. So I'm grateful for that because especially for graphic design, I really have no formal training. It's just having an artistic and graphical mind that sees something and then trying to make my hands palatable to bring it to fruition and, and make that that picture come forth. Right, right. All right, Neil, listen, down to the wire of these last two questions before we move on to our part two. What is the best advice that you've ever received? The best advice that I have received is something that was not spoken so to speak, but it's something that I learned from my grandfather, and that was to roll with the punches. As I look at my grandfather, he was a strong man, a man of few words. He was a military man. He was very um, strict, very deliberate, very determined, and very passionate about the things that he did. But as I observed my grandfather and as I got older and became a man myself, my, I called my grandfather daddy. Daddy <laughs> was all with the punches. He knew how to take things that came in his way when things happened with his children, when things happened um, with work. He just knew how to, how to take it and not get sidetracked, and not get upset and not get to a place that he was so frustrated that he was not able to accomplish. So that's something that I try to emulate in adulthood and in manhood is, okay, this happened, what we gonna do to make it work? How we gonna fix it? And that's what daddy did. Like whatever happened, he knew how to just take that woo-saw moment, take that breath and move forward. And that's something that I, uh, aspire to do always. And I try to tell other people, sometimes you just got to roll with the punches. You're not going to be in control all the time. Absolutely. That was definitely great advice. Um, thank you for sharing that. So uh, you do amazing work. Shout out to you, first and foremost, because, you know, very intriguing. What's next for you, Mr. Elliot, Rick Elliott Davis? Talk to us. Well, I actually am just embarking on a new venture. I drew i did drawing and painting growing up and it was a part i i i get bored easily so there are so many things there are a lot <laughs> of things i can do and i just kind of forget about or i just put off and i did some art uh some wall art a mural actually and just one day because i was bored and people really loved it and, and honed in on it and i was encouraged to use that talent more. And I sort of had put my drawing and painting in the background as I began to develop and do other things with graphic design, with theater, with voiceover. And here recently, I've just gotten a lot of lovely feedback from people to encourage me to pick my drawing back up, which I have done. And ultimately, I recently opened up an online store that is, I have a business partner, so we have an online store of my original drawings that are available on several 
apparel and accessory products. So that's what's going on right now. And um, next thing is just finding out, the next thing is getting further along with my voiceover career. And, and hopefully you'll hear me on an animation soon, you know, with a voice like this. <laughs> that would be super dope. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, well, we definitely got you uh, fingers crossed and got you in our prayers for that, for sure. Um, so now we can ready to get into our uh, tea questions. So these uh, tea questions are questions that we ask everyone that we interview. Uh, we get in your business a little bit, not too deep in your business, but you know, um, we definitely um, ask everyone that we interview these questions. So first question is this, if you had all the money or power necessary, what would you do or change that you feel would be most beneficial for the LGBTQ plus community? I would create more safe spaces for our community. I say our because I am one of those letters in there. And there are so many letters as you talk about the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. It's a large and broad community and everyone deserves the opportunity to be seen. And I feel that there are few spaces that really give opportunity for persons of our community to be seen, whether it's artistically or vocally or mentally in writing in so many areas that our people our community excels in, but because of that simple letter that's included in that genre, in that box that people mm -hmm. want to us into, they're overlooked, they're forsaken, they're pushed to the back burner because they're an L or because they're uh, a pansexual or because they're a, a Q. You know, because of just a letter, a lot of times a person can be pigeonholed into a place of status that is not accepted when they actually have so much to offer. I had the opportunity to work in public health and ran a resource center for young men of color ages 13 through 29, where we did all sorts of development, professional development, coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And it really had a great impact on me and showed me how few resources there are for our letter or alphabet alphabet uh, community, as as I will call it. I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm gonna call it our alphabets. You know, and so if we can get someone to pay attention to what my alphabet is within my community, what my letter is, despite the letter. I am a person who has something to offer. And uh, if I could, if I had money, if I had the resources, the financial resources, I really would create more safe spaces and more platforms for persons of the community to be able to express themselves in their niche, in their genre of what it is that they want to achieve and what they would like to see. Part, part of success is not just doing it for yourself, but success is being able to see what you think and what you feel in a palatable form on a public platform that I can see myself on TV. I can hear myself on the radio. So this is reality. It's real. 
not just me in my head writing my poetry and crying at night because no one understands me, not just me um, among my friends singing karaoke because I can't get a place to get on stage for real. Mm -hmm. so I, I just making a place where we can be comfortable is something that's very important to me. Got you. Okay, cool. Number two is this. It starts with a quote and then it goes into the question. Quote is, um, ask not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me, what am I living for? In detail, ask me what do I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. That's a quote by Thomas Moore, but this is the question. What is your goal in life and what is slowing you down from achieving that goal? My goal in life is to see people happy. The thing that fulfills me the most is being able to do something, anything that makes someone else happy. If it is just, I try to be a positive, upbeat, sometimes look goofy person, because I want to put a smile on somebody's face. Right. And in our society, we struggle with so much, so many things that could bring you down, so many things that could downplay the strength of who you are and the ability that you have. My goal is just to help somebody, see somebody happy, make somebody feel better about themselves or their day. And that's what I try to do in encountering other people is to bring some joy, bring some light, change the conversation, change the situation so that my presence means something. And when I'm gone, when I've left you in that, from that conversation in the line at Starbucks, or when I've left you from buying you know, my clothes at, at the store, you remember that little black guy, Rick with no K and Elliot with two L's and two T's. You remember Rick Elliot Davis for something that um, had, had a, an impact on your life. Makes sense. All right now, you're powering us today. So uh, number three is this, what is your deepest tea? I.e. something that you've never shared on social media before, but something that you are willing to share with us. You know, I share my deepest tea. I really do not talk about where I'm from. I <laughs> I really I very rarely a lot of times when I'm asked where I'm from I'll say I'm from the south um, I was or I was born in the south I moved around a lot so to go into trying to explain to people where I'm from where I've lived how I got here this that and so on it just becomes too much so I very rarely tell people literally I was born in Little Rock Arkansas. I was raised there through my teen years. So that's, I mean, that's a little key. And if you don't like know me, know me, <laughs> you probably wouldn't know that. And and with doing voiceovers, I put on so many different voices and facets and, and types of cultures and, and, and things that people just don't know never what's gonna come out of my mouth. So I, <laughs> I um, that's something that, like I said, I uh, don't necessarily shy away from, but everybody, if you don't like, again, if you don't know me, know me, you might not know that I was born in the South. Got it. Especially Little Rock. Got it. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that with us. You came out the gate with it. Don't try it. Bill Clinton is from there, okay? He was a president. <laughs> okay, we'll give you that. He's not black. Um, no, I'm just kidding. What... <laughs> Uh, two quick questions and we're done. Um, what has been 
your biggest stumbling block that you had across uh, along your path and how'd you overcome it? I might say that being from the South is a stumbling block. Being from Little Rock is, is, is a city, it is a community, it is, it's not country. The people there are not barefoot and eating mud as some people, you know, some people say, Arkansas, where is that? Where even is Arkansas? Like, you know, where in the United States is that? You know, and people have certain views, of course, of every city, of every state and things that they think are intrinsic to the nature of the people there. So I feel sometimes, and I think that's why I was closed off about it for so long is because I had shame thinking that, well, I'm just this little black short boy from Arkansas. You know, I can't, I'm not in New York. I'm not in LA. I can't do the things that they can do there. And so in some points, it seemed as though it was an obstacle, but in hindsight and retrospect, as I look back on my life as a little boy, a little black boy from a single parent home who experienced uh, so many things from being homeless to uh, sexual molestation and rape, to success in theater and, and being on television and, and having so many experiences, those are things that never stopped me. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that the negatives, if you want to call it that, were not negatives that divided me to a zero place. They were negatives. If I, I'm not a mathematician, I'm not really a math person, but. <laughs> When you go into like the positive and negatives and the integers and all of that stuff, you know, some stuff cancels out. That'll, that's a word that'll preach. Listen here, let me turn to my side for this. You know, something that you go through or experience cancels out another thing. So just because I was a boy born in the South doesn't make me ineligible to be a star or to be someone greater than what I was born into from being born into a single parent home and being raised uh, for the majority of my childhood as an only child. Mm. So that's, uh, that's, that's my thing. It's, it's still possible. Anything. It's possible. That's the ultimate goal we can understand. You only fail when you stop trying. As long as you keep going, you can make it. Um, and you're the only person that can stop you from making it. Is you. Only person stopping you is you. I say that all the time. Um, and last but not least, what are what is the what is the thing that you would like to be left in a legacy time capsule for a legacy of your work? Making people happy. If if you don't, if you there's a song, there's a, a spiritual or a hymn song that I like. It's um called My Living Is Not My Living Will living, Not Is My Living in Vain? Yeah, it's my living. And so it, it goes on to say, if I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer someone with a word or a song, if I can show someone he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. And what I really seek to do with this life and this creativity that God has given me is just to touch somebody, you know, and I may never know that person, but if I can live in such a way that what I do and what the energy that I put into the world helps, touches, blesses, lifts someone, 
then my legacy is is set. My legacy, I, I will be happy and I can rest in peace, literally in peace, knowing that I did something. I mattered. I was there. That was my, that was, that was me. Some, I made that person will look back and say, yeah, that little boy, that, what was his name? But he was so good. Or he, you know, that's, that's what I long for as a legacy in life. Oh, yes. Talk about it. Well, you know, again, thank you so much for being here. Um, this has been an amazing interview. Um, and you're here with us all week long on our talk show as well. So I hope you enjoyed that. Please let the people know where to find you one more time via this interview. So you can go to my website, rickelliot.com. That's R-I-C-E-L-L-I-O-T-T.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Rick, R-I-C dot Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T-T, or on Facebook, Rick Elliot Davis. Just like that. You heard the voice. Anything else you want to know, you can look it up. It's right there. Just like that. Or just Google me, baby. I comes up. Google me. Google me. <laughs> I've been in the Googler, as uh, Wendy Williams was saying, the Googler Schmoogler. Um, yeah. um, again, I'm at Troy Weeks Music. This is All the Tea with Verse TV. This has been All the Tea with Verse TV. And you guys tune in next week for a new interview and someone else that's going to be in the chair making it happen. So uh, thank you guys so much. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to Verse TV and everywhere. <laughs>